Welcome back to Super Flexible Podcast. I am here this week with Jordan McNamara. Jordan, did I say that right? You got it right. I I always struggle with names and it it was important. I wanted to nail yours today. So here with Jordan, we're going to talk a little bit of startup strategies. I want to talk about some analytics of Dynasty as well, though. That's very important to me that we try to push some people to that. So I want to use that in this a little bit as well. So as the creator of analytics of Dynasty, how do you feel like how have your strategies in your startups changed over the years? That's a great question. There's a lot of things that I've done that are different. Um, I, I think if there's an overarching theme of what I try and do, it's to be the most efficient possible strategy I can put together. Right. So that'll be searching for things in, in different ways. And I think different positions are different. Um, and I have started to look and I think a lot of the narratives that go on in Dynasty are um, uh, can be exploited. Right. If whether they're not uh, true or maybe they're not entirely true or there's holes in them that you can sort of find. Um, so I think the, all that stuff. Um, yeah. So a lot of it is finding different efficiencies. And I think I think one uh you know, one specific approach to the entire uh, to the entire thing, I think, is is a little tough to do, right? Because you know, if you go all young, you might not necessarily be optimizing your team, right? But if you go all old, you might not be optimizing your team either. There tends to be a mix between positions and and different yeah. production profiles and all that stuff. So I think it's a it's kind of been a mismatch, right? So before I started analytics and dynasty, I would probably go all young. Uh, but now I'm much more, you know, I'm, I'm a thrift shopper in terms of wide receivers, uh, in terms yes. of quarterbacks, all that stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's gotten a lot different. I'm, I've become the same way, especially with wide receivers. And I might say this too much, but there's this point where I feel like we, we almost farm wide receivers at their peak value. And that's when you want them. And you're trying to get like the A.J. Browns, the Metcalfs, um, Justin mm-hmm. Jefferson, who uh, – um, that's a weak point. Like I'll definitely go after some Justin Jefferson, but those young guys, the Iukes, the T Higgins, those guys and where their values at. And then when they get to peak production, we decide to sell them at a reduced value. And that's something that like, I've also like kind of being an ageist started to take advantage of more and more and more because you see those, like I always use like Keenan Allen as a, an example of that age and what he does versus those young guys that are at their peak values. And we almost, so we farm them throughout their most valuable years and then we sell them at a reduced price when they are really producing rather than the other way around. Like we sell 27 year old wide receivers like a 25 year old running back mm-hmm. and, and yeah, i think it's I, ridiculous I, I totally with you and you know it's funny because so searching out efficiencies and, and sort of looking at the data uh and, and trying to find the most effective strategy one of the things i've found is that i think the market is mispriced wide receivers in particular um and so that tends to look uh there tends to be a certain profile to that you know it tends to be guys like keenan allen guys like amari cooper guys like mike evans right sort of in that age range uh and maybe the hey their their wide receiver one overall profile may may be closed right or um you know are are they going to go up in price right those those sorts of things maybe they're closed and that becomes less attractive to folks um for me uh, that totally speaks to hey let's instead of trying to make a, a super valuable roster in terms of, you know, attractive market value, let's make a really productive one, right? That's cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's sort of the, that's sort of the way that, that I do. And, and a lot of times with those guys too, you know, like Mike Evans, we kind of know what he's going to do in a year, right? Like Amari Cooper, like we kind of have a really good idea of who he is, you know, Keenan Allen's the yep. same way, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, assuming they don't get hurt, Right. That's a that's a different risk altogether. But assuming they don't get hurt, there's going to be a certain range in which they're going to produce. And, you know, you can sort of exploit that. Right. And so. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's really the thing for me is I, I don't much worry about being super attractive to the market. Right. If I sort of do it right, I will be. Um, but that's not really an, a stated goal for me as at the outset. My my intent is to try and pick up, you know, very valuable, uh, productive players in, in, a, in, in that sense of value and then 
just doing that naturally, you'll have you'll have trade opportunities and all that. Yeah, and, and that's something I'll do too because I like to trade a lot. And so you brought up Mike Vet, Mike Evans, who I, I agree I think is almost at that that area where he's just a ridiculous value. So, but I'll I'll like think of and I'm not this is hypothetical, but I'll I'll be trying to sell you Mike Evans. I'll try to sell mm-hmm. the next team Mike Evans, the nice next team Mike Evans. I start to realize like, dude, I'm giving you a great deal here just because I want to do this, that, or the other. And then you'll try it a couple more times, and then it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to my other leagues, and I'm going to buy Mike Evans, because this is freaking ridiculous that nobody wants Mike Evans at this point. So sometimes I even like dictate it by some of the moves you're trying to move on from, and then it's like, okay, I'm, I'm holding, and I'm going to get more if this is really what the consensus feelings are right now. Yeah, totally. And and I think the, you know, I, I'm still working on the marketing for this, so forgive me, but I call it an arbitrate, right? So you're, you're basically arbitraging profiles, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, as you were speaking, you know, one of the things that I was thinking of is like uh, Devontae Adams and Mike Evans, but kind of similar profiles. Again, I think that Devontae Adams' ceiling is higher, right? Conceitedly, but, but yep. you're paying a price for that, right? Yeah. I don't think the profiles in terms of security, in terms of stability. I mean, is Devontae Adams ever going to do what he did again last year? I mean, not many people are. Um, right. Maybe he can repeat, but that's a, a super rare thing. So, yeah, I mean, just trying to think about those things and, and again, trade kind of trading within profiles. I'm a really big proponent of finding successful profiles and investing in them a lot, right, and figure out figuring out different ways to do it. And that was something I didn't really do as much earlier on in my dynasty career. You know, I'd really fall in love with players and really get attached to certain players. But really what you want is to pick really good profiles, fall in love with the profile, and then pick players that reflect those profiles, right? And so I think that's a really uh, a good way to go about it, to think about player profiles and player value in that way. Yeah, I, I like that. I don't know why I thought about this in this moment either, but... I mentioned the Superflex Super Show and the show you did with John Hogue. Mm-hmm. Great listen, by the way. If you guys haven't listened to that, go back and check that out on Superflex Super Show feed or Superflex City. But something you mentioned in that is, first of all, I have to admit something to you here. I earned a 101, mm-hmm. I, and I earned it. It was it was my team. I didn't I didn't trade for it. Um, but it's a weak team. Like I'm really kind of hurting at wide receiver, but you mentioned a move in there that you guys got me thinking I might really try to make with that one one and it's for the exact players. So let me know what you think about this 16 teams, super flex, my one one for Matthew Stafford and one Oh six, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, again, it's, this is a question of what you're trying to accomplish. Right. And so Trevor Lawrence fascinates me for a lot of reasons. Um, one of them is I think he may be mispriced uh, in, in the sense of I think that some people are going at him from a ceiling perspective. Uh, and if you sort of look at his profile, he, he's a good player. Let's sort of just put that as a, as a sort of a threshold thing. I'm not saying that he's bad. But I, I think his profile much more speaks to a high floor than a high maybe a, a, a Mahomes type ceiling, right? right? When you sort of look at the elite seasons that he had, you know, his best seasons in college, when you sort of rank them amongst the guys that have been drafted in the past, uh, since 2013, they look a lot like 10 to 15th percent, you know, top 10 to 15% accomplished, uh, which is very good, right? All of his seasons basically fall in that. When you look at the other guys, they all have higher seasons, right? They have lower floors for sure. Uh, but they have had better seasons. Zach Wilson's season was better, I think, than Lawrence's season. Fields had two seasons better than any season Lawrence had. When you sort of look at, you know, when you sort of look at the metrics, it, again, it depends on what you're measuring. But on some of the stuff that I was looking at, I just thought, you know, these seasons are better for Fields. Um, and same with Lance, right? You could say you could say that with Lance as well. Uh, and so yeah, when you look at all of these things, you say, okay, well, what am I trying to accomplish with Lawrence? Is it a high floor, or is it a really high ceiling? Because if it's a high ceiling, I think that's probably the wrong bet. Again, maybe he sort of achieves that, but I think from probabilistically, I think that his ranges of outcomes might be a little bit lower. Um, and so when you sort of look at that, you say, okay, well, if I'm trying to preserve the floor, right, the generational prospect thing, and again, I'm, I'm sort of open to the idea that he is. I just haven't quite seen it yet. 
And if I could be pitched on the idea that he's a generational prospect, the problem is I'd have to see that to be true, right? I'd have to have someone, you know, why is that not showing up in the numbers? And I'm open to the idea that it is true, but that I'm just not seeing it in some form. And I would need to be convinced on why that's true. And if that's going to be the case, you know, if it's more of a floor play, right, that is his likelihood of, hit, of being successful is really high. There's other guys that's true with, right? That's Matt Stafford. That's that is Kirk Cousins. That's you sure. know some of these other guys, all of these all of these players. Right. I think all of those profiles are true. So moving off of that and you can take two bets. Right. I mean, at one of six, you're almost certain to get a quarterback in this class or or a wide receiver one or the running back one. Right. That's basically the way the math would work. I yeah. Think. And that's uh, my biggest problem on this team. And part of the reason is because I was so awful at wide receiver which you're probably laughing inside at because we've had so many discussions about zero RB versus like mm-hmm. <laughs> whatnot. But, but yeah, yeah that was no, definitely I... my weakest links. I've made some moves to start adding wide receivers to that team already, but that is definitely that team's like weakest link. I'll show it to you after the show and sure. get back to it when you can, but you'll laugh inside when I tell you some of the stories about it. But yeah, so I need to add depth. It's 16 teams. I think the depth is a little bit more important when you're playing 16 teams, and I'd still right. be moving on to another quarterback. I also have Josh Allen and Herbert. Yeah, see, there, and there you go. I mean, that's kind of it. And again, maybe the bet when you have Josh Allen and you have Herbert, maybe the bet is you want more ceiling. Right. I mean, that's sure. You know, and so when you look at that, you can say, all right, I could take two bets. So I could take I could take three bets. Like I'm, I'm really I have one one. I actually traded. Oh, man, it would have been 2019. So two years ago, I traded Damian Williams for a 2021 first and it ended up being one one in a two QB league. Uh, so, again, it's a huge windfall. Right. I mean, just playing patience play on that trade was just the payoff on that's enormous. Uh, but I'm in a situation where I'm sort of at a crossroads. Right. I kind of like I'm I could go through a rebuild um, I could retool um, but I sort of have these two chips right I have 101 I've got 103 and I've got some other guys you know how do I is it is it to go to a deep rebuild is it to sort of all right try and take a, a piece or two move it around you know fill a couple needs you know sort of figure out a way to you know I need a little bit more depth in terms of my lineup, you know, make those, I, it leaves me a whole range of options, right? So I, I really think, you know, what you're trying to accomplish with that 101 pick really is something that you should, uh, you know, you should, you should think about, right? What are you trying to accomplish? And that's a big thing. And so, uh, you know, having those, having that pick now, you have a lot of leverage on the, on the market. Sure. Yeah. And that's a good point too, as you move closer and closer, closer to the draft. So yeah, totally agree with that. It'll be tough. So what are you typically trying to do within the first round of your startup or even the, do you have like benchmarks? Are you just kind of Mm -hmm. purely going for value? We mentioned sometimes maybe you don't agree with some of the market value or. Yeah. So I think, so there's a couple of pieces to that. I think market value is really important data um, because it predicts production, right? The, you know, we can sort of look at profiles when we can look at, you know, I use what I call base rates and density rates and base rates basically will tell you, you know, if a person hasn't hit, you know, I have different thresholds for a hit. For example, if a quarterback's not a top 12 quarterback to date, right, a seasonal finish, that is, uh, I consider them not a hit. If the player's not a top 24 uh, running back or wide receiver, I consider that not a hit, right? So we can sort of look at the those profiles know historically based on their experience in the round in the draft, sort of what their, what their likelihood of producing a, a hit season in the future is and sort of have that as a number. If the same thing, if we have a guy who has not, uh, who has hit, I, I track something called density and that tells you sort of what, what their likelihood of hitting again is, right? How deep their, how deep their, their hits in their career will be. And so that's something that, you know, I, I look at when you sort of adjust that and sort of combine it with market data, you know, we sort of know what a second round wide receiver hit rate is, right? We sort of know what a what a uh, tenth round wide receiver hit rate is, right? And so when you sort of use that data, the market knows a lot more about player profiles than just those base rate things too. So when you combine them, you can sort of look and say, hey, you know, why is this profile trading well below what its base rate is? Why is this profile trading well above what its base rate is? And sort of thinking about those things. So that's some that's stuff I really look at in terms of respecting the, the market. Where I think the market may get it wrong is some of the 
uh, I think it might be miscalibrated, right? So one of the things you tend to see is that at wide receiver, in particular, you get uh, the the guys who haven't hit yet. People place a really high premium on you know multiple top twelve seasonal finishes. Mm-hmm. Really, is, is where those guys tend to match the hit rate of of guys that are not um, that that have already hit. And so when you sort of look at them, you say, okay, well, what's the you know what's the market calibrated towards? Well, it's calibrated to ridiculously high upside. The problem with that is, uh, in terms of your averages, in terms of your your threshold hits, in terms of all those things, like your much better bet is to do the guy that has done it, right? Because he's going to produce the likelihood that he actually hits is higher. He hits about the same percentage as the guys, you know, the the guys that haven't hit, right? Sort of the up and coming guys, uh, you know. So you're talking, you know, um, you know, rookies or or second year guys that maybe breakout candidates, those type of things. Those guys are all have um, uh, have have essentially equal likelihood of the guys hitting for for big seasons uh, if they're in the same round, but they're much lower floor options, right? So what are you trying to accomplish there? So one of the things that I really look at that, right? Um, and so that's really the part that I think I think the the market value is important in terms of thinking about production, but I think that it's uh, maybe miscalibrated towards what it's trying to accomplish. Um, so I, I tend to keep those things in mind. Again, those are profiles that when you sort of look at that market data, you can say, hey, that's probably an overpriced profile, an underpriced profile. Um, you know, so I look at that stuff. Again, early on, I think yeah, I use this analogy a lot, which is I think drafting, especially early in a draft, you should try to be think about marrying the person instead of dating them. So you want to know, especially a quarterback and wide receiver, you want to know they're good, right? You don't want to marry someone on a first date. Uh, you want to know, Hey, you want to sort of know something about them. You want to see adversity. You want to see how they are around your family. You want to see how they are, you know, not just over coffee on your first date. And so that's a lot of it, right? You, you know, how, how good do you feel about Justin Herbert? Like, I feel pretty good, but he's done it for one season. There's some things in his profile that you could say, maybe that's not entirely who he is, right? You can sort of have those questions and say, uh, all right, like this, like, do I want to sort of spend 110 on this, right? Or do I sort of have much more comfort at Matthew Stafford three rounds later? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that, those are different questions. You know, how good do I feel about Trevor? Or maybe Lawrence both. Can I have both? I could, you could have, have both. Grab Herbert sure. at that 110 and then Stafford three rounds later. Right. I think a good example might be uh, Lawrence versus Russell Wilson. Like you're seeing some of this early startup data where that 101 is going ahead of Russell Wilson. I, I think that's a, a, a pretty um, risky bet. Yeah, I think that's a pretty that's a pretty rough one in terms of a bet to make. That's a low probability bet. Can it work? Yes. The odds that that's actually the right bet are pretty low, I would say. Um, Yeah. So thinking about those things. And and so I really want to I want to know, you know, you know, Dak Prescott over over Trevor Lawrence is an easy decision for me because I know what Dak Prescott is. Right. I don't have the I don't have that risk of, you know, Trevor Lawrence just for some reason can't hang. Right. Whether, you know, he can't stay at a strip clubs, Dwayne Haskins style, or he can't, you know, yeah. any of those things. Right. I don't have those risks. So I think a lot of that early on is about not having risks. And each year is different, too. Each year, the market will look different in terms of I think you can get receivers later in the draft than you might otherwise be able to get in a, in a, you know, a historic uh, a year. Right. When you compare the profiles in the sixth, seventh round of, of the wide receiver position, it's a lot different than the than in in past years. But you have guys like Amari Cooper and Mike Evans going in that range where that range tended to be weak before. So all of that is this year is probably different than past years. But generally, I don't want to miss early, right? So I yeah. want to take some bats early. And that's an interesting, too, because you brought up like Russell Wilson and you brought up Dak. And those are moves maybe I could feasibly, for that 101, I could possibly get Russ and a little bit, a little dab in there. I could get Dak and a little dab in there. Maybe not as much as I would get with Matthew Stafford, but to have Russell Wilson or Dak and a quarterback that you maybe you don't know enough about yet. So, I mean, you're really, in a sense, getting a quarterback upgrade and a little extra. Yeah, and for it, sure. It might be feasible to actually pull the trigger on that. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that's a big... I think thinking about ways to pivot again, you're looking at profiles and Dak Prescott just by nature of what we know about him has a better profile than Trevor Lawrence does. You know, I did some work 
early on in the off season, we just looked at, I just looked at first round guys going back to, I think it was 2011, 2000, uh, I think, yeah, 2010, maybe, uh, whatever the Sam Bradford year was that he came out. Uh, he was in that, he was in that subset. And I just said, you know, what's the, what's the likelihood that one of these guys gets to a second contract? You know, I, I call it the, this isn't called this in football, but I consider it like the super max in basketball, right? Like mm-hmm. the, they get the big time extension with their team. And when you sort of look at first round guys, uh, you know, seven of them have already signed it. Um, and then you get uh, two more guys that I think are probably on pace, right? That's Lamar Jackson and um, Josh Allen, but seven guys have already done it. Uh, those guys include Sam Bradford, Cam Newton, uh, Andrew Luck, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Goff, and Wentz. Wow. Right? So, so even the so right, you're getting nine out of 30, I think was about the number that I got. So you get, what, 30% of those guys are sort of signing what I call the, the NFL Supermax. And you know, Goff and Wentz haven't even played a snap on it yet. And those already look like horrible deals. And again, I think Watson and, and uh, Mahomes are – borderline hall of fame it's crazy to think that they haven't even played a snap on it though honestly it's it's incredible and already those deals look horrible and so when you think about that like all right and again how good do we feel about what sam bradford did last like magic about newton about luck right so when you sort of look at those guys like again that's just the first round guys you you have guys like wilson and, and others that have done it from a lower pedigree but i just think making that that with a young guy right we know that I don't know if Dak signs that supermax tomorrow. I got a pretty good feeling that he's going to turn out good on that contract. Whereas I don't necessarily have that same feeling about what Lawrence might do, right? Cause the odds are kind of going against him ever sort of getting to that level. And I think that the market might not necessarily appreciate that. So it sounds like I'm making an assumption here. It sounds like maybe in the first round you're taking a wide receiver and you're going to try to wait on your quarterbacks and, and maybe get some guys that you feel a little bit more secure about, like the Matthew Staffords and the Kirk Cousins? and Yeah, so I tend to look at quarterbacks uh, through different lenses. And again, this year is different than past years. So I, I'll use last year as an example. Last year, I thought there was a lot of options in the teams that were on multiple-year windows, right? So you looked at Stafford, you looked at Matt Ryan, Goff was a good example of this, Cousins is a really good example of this guys that were sort of on yeah, what I would consider locked in for multiple years. Uh, and again, I, I sort of use a five-year window for quarterbacks, and then what I feel comfortable two or more. And then from there, it's a little bit different, right? After that, I sort of break them into subsets. Uh, but I only have three guys that I really feel good about five plus years. It's Watson, Mahomes, and uh, Wilson, right? And for a variety of reasons, all the other guys I feel less confident with. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, if Dak Prescott tomorrow signed five years, $175 million, he would be in tier one for me. Right. Uh, but I just have that concern, you know, about the injury and about, um, you know, I think he's going to be fine, but about the injury and about the contract and, you know, then we'll, we'll sort of readjust. Okay, so that's really the thing is uh, if I'm not getting one of those guys, I got to be careful about missing there. Problem is with this year, everyone's quarterbacks are going so early. So if you wait, like you can be in, you can be really, really hard. So if you're not going to go a quarterback, like, and you're going to get into that teens range this year, it's less yeah. comfortable there. You yeah. have less certainty about golf. You've got less certainty about Ryan. You know, I really feel still good about Cousins, but you sort of get into that, you know, and then you have less of the options with the older guys too. You got Breeze probably retiring. You know, Brady's in a one to two year window here. You know, Ben, right? That's a lesser option. So when you sort of look at look down the line, I think the quarterback, the nature of the quarterback position this year is much different than it was in prior years. So I think that's going to kind of force me to go early at the position yeah. um, just because, you know, I've already done, done it. And I went, I went Wilson just because I, I kind of had to get one. Right. So yep. that way I could have some flexibility on the back end of my roster. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm quarterback early and often in super uh-huh. flex drafts. And that even, I mean, it even makes you wonder too, like you, if you do wait, you get Stafford in the third or fourth, is Cousins going to fall to you in your next round? Like, And then at that point, and sure, you're adding like premium talent at other positions at that point, but I mean, the disadvantage I feel like you could give yourself at quarterback if you're, I don't know, I always say like, don't, don't necessarily start a run, but you don't want to miss it, but I'd much rather start it than not be a part of it. Yeah, that's for sure. And this year, I think it's interesting too, is and I'm not sure this was true in prior years. I think there's a more high upside bet you can take in the three to f- quarterback three to four range. 
right? I think Winston's a, a really interesting one. I think, you know, the idea of Taysom Hill is, uh, is an interesting one as well, right? I think there's shots in there that you could say, in, the last, in prior years, it might have been Teddy Bridgewater, right? And that's, I think, a, a certain low ceiling type of bat. This year, I think there's actually swing for the fences types picks there, which can, if you want to sort of take those bats at quarterback three or four, you kind of got to be good at one and two, right? Mm -hmm. So, and those are bets that I want to take. You know, I, I, I could sort of do the whole Carson Wentz thing for an hour um, about some of the concerns that I have, but ultimately, you know, we have seen it. We have seen him be good at, at, at spots. It's been four years, but we've seen him be good. Uh, and so we sort of wonder, like, is that is that still attainable, right? And if you sort of say yes, right, there's a certain cost for that, but you sort of can't do that as quarterback two. Right. You could do that as quarterback three. You can do it as quarterback four. Right. That's a really interesting quarterback three, four bet. But you can't do that at two. And so, you know, to, to make that bet, you kind of need to be early at the position. Right. You need to be ahead of that, those lines. So I think figuring out what types of bets that you want to make and then figuring out the prices that you want to make them are really the key to dynasty. And so when you put all that together, you know, knowing those profiles is, is critical. Yeah. Yeah. Man, you bring up a lot of excellent points that probably will make me think a little bit differently and not be so hasty like going after some quarterbacks but sometimes you do think that like even with the Jared Goff and and Wentz trades lately and when you start to move after them because you're like okay now they are on a team at least but then the price that's kind of baked into the Colts now for Wentz and you're still like yeah but like I feel like I could go do a lot of things for that. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like if I'm going to go spend like two firsts or something like that, I feel like even though those firsts could depreciate after you use them or, or whatnot, I'm kind of just like, no, I'd rather just even like look at my contention cycle a little bit differently. I don't know if Wentz is the guy that's going to change a whole bunch for me. Yeah, for sure. And it's like one of those things like, all right, do I want to trade for Wentz or like, would I rather just pay the, like, pay the Piper and, and go up and get one of the elite guys, right? Right. That's, like, or I Stafford sort of, or Cousins, I, like we've mentioned Stafford a few times Cousins. in the show. Yeah, totally. And I think those are reasonable, like they're really good bets and I think they're reasonable costs, right? And Cousins so, is probably the guy to go after price-wise and like security-wise. Like, I bet he's cheaper than Stafford at this point. Yeah. And, and when you look at his numbers last year, basically the only reason that he wasn't a really high end fantasy quarterback was volume. Basically everything else he did like very good. And he's, again, he's a, we, we know who he is and that's yep. a, a, a very serviceable quarterback too with quarter with a low end quarterback one upside, but you're not going to have a Darnold situation. You're not going to have a Daniel Jones situation. You're not going to have a Dwayne Haskins. He's not going right. to, Kirk Cousins isn't going to be out at a strip club getting COVID, right? Like, it's just not, <laughs> at least we don't think, right? He doesn't have that in his profile. He's not going to so let it, you know about it, okay? Right, right, yeah. Or, or he's discreet enough, which, again, <laughs> probably gives some credit for, for you know, you should have him on your fantasy team. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, I think I think those things, uh, I, I think they're, you know, uh, I made a trade for Mahomes earlier this year, and, like, I, I was sort of in the negotiations, and the guy was, like, wanting a little bit more, and I was like, there's kind of nothing I wouldn't pay. You know, and that sounds crazy, but there is too much to pay. But in the context of what we were talking, it's like, is there any chance in the next five years that I'm going to look back on this and be uh, upset that I made this deal? Uh, maybe, but it's a pretty low likelihood event, right? So, you know, I think the same with like Watson and and these guys, like the the value that they have. You know, there's so many ills that that Mahomes can cure for you, right? Because you can sort of like you can be struggle at quarterback too. And sort of patch it together, but you're just so locked in at quarterback one, you feel really, really good about it. That's and you a good point. Do a lot of different things. Like it's like the three in basketball. Like you can be, like you can really struggle at other things, but if you can pour in 15 of them in a game, like you're probably going to win. Right? Yeah, yeah. Holmes kind of that way. Yeah, I, I like that a lot, Jordan. I know you're a, a big wide receiver guy. Mm -hmm. Do you have a type at this point? Do you like a big body guy that can go up and? get the 50 50 do you like the fast guys creating that separation like just kind of i don't know i didn't ask you if, about that before but yeah do you have a type uh, my type of wide receiver is a wide receiver in his mid-20s who's hit twice that's the type so in the top 12 mid-20s top 24 uh guy with multiple top 24 seasonal finishes uh who's between 24 and 28 
that's a really lucrative profile and I want to hit that as many times as I can. Right. Do so, you ever take into consideration like weekly average or do you want that like overall finish? I, I care very, I care 0% about weekly average and the reason for, or uh, excuse me, I care 0% about weekly variation. Um, the, the average points when you sort of look at it, uh, you know, and this is something that I actually looked at in the 2020 edition of the book, and I sort of followed it up in this one because I had some questions about it, and I just wanted to sort of delve further. But what's the, you know, how much does variance from week to week matter? Well, we sort of know it doesn't. Um, it, it matters 0% when you sort of link it to your to your win-loss record. Teams with higher variance or more uh, fluctuation week to week in their scoring uh, don't perform better or worse than teams that, that um you know, have a lower one, right? So I think that's a really interesting and powerful piece of information. Um, you know, one of the things that, that folks tend to look at is, oh, I want really high floor wide receivers. That doesn't matter. Uh, it matters how many points they score in the course of the season. I think there's some really extreme examples of that, that maybe you could convince me, hey, you know, if someone pours in an 80 spot, uh, but in terms of the basically 99.999% of wide receivers that we talk about, that's not true for us. So yeah. we don't really have to worry about it. Um, you know, and, and I think that that, you know, any conversation we sort of have about those really huge outliers kind of uh, is, is really making too much of a focal point about the exception and not the rule. So with me, like Mike Evans, you know, this narrative about Mike Evans being boom bust, like a, there's no predictiveness. There's very little predictiveness in that week uh, year over year. And, and really what you're talking about is entirely touchdowns, right? The guys that score, you know, if you get a wide receiver that, that goes for, I don't know, 80, 1,200 yards and eight touchdowns, right? Like that's a really good season. And what you're probably going to see is if they pour in, you know, in six games, they pour in those eight touchdowns, right? There's a good chance in those other games that they're not top 24 finishers just because so many of the, the top 24 weeks have a touchdown attached to them. And that doesn't mean they're not valuable. It just means that's the nature of how wide receivers score their points. You know, one of the things I looked at, it's like a huge percentage of guys that finish with eight or more top 24 weeks, right? If you just get to eight weeks of okay. top 24 weekly finishes, you're almost a certain lock to be a top 24 wide receiver. I think there's been three in the past 12 years or so that haven't, that haven't and they were all top 30 guys, right? So mm -hmm. yeah, I'd say you actually get there uh, you know, with half of your weeks being what you would consider. Yeah. Start and that, that's what I was going to say, even with the 50%, like the half year, cause that's even one of the reasons I should have clarified when I asked the questions. One of the reasons I did ask about the weekly average is maybe because of missed time or mm -hmm. some of those games. So still like, say it's somebody like, uh, I'm trying to think like Brandon, Ayuk maybe who missed some time, AJ Brown misses some time here and there. If they're yeah. still like putting together, like, four of eight games in that range is that you, you know what i yeah. mean yeah you're looking for you're looking for 50 percent uh and that's a really good accomplishment so and i think people underestimate that you know i did some work in the book about this specifically and i was just curious about the perception of it and i said you know if you have someone that goes for 50 percent of their or, you know basically eight out of uh their 16 games uh -huh. or top 24 seasons you know what's your uh, what's your perception of them? And half of people said that they were boom bust. And then I asked the other, uh, you know, I, I sort of followed it up with that. And I said, you know, what's the, if you're, if you, uh, is that a good season or a bad season? And a third of people said it was a bad season. It's almost universally, right? If you, if you told me that, Hey, someone went for eight top 24 weeks, we could almost, I would almost certainly bet a lot of money that they finished in the top 24 at the position for the year. Yeah. Uh, and I think that people sort of miss that. And, you know, again, uh, the week to week variance at wide receiver, it's just the nature of the position because so much of what they do are touchdown related. And if you score eight of them, that's a good season. And there's your, there's at least eight games. You're not scoring a touchdown. Right. So, um, so that's kind of how it happens. Right. And so, um, and so much of that touchdown stuff is fluky in the way, in the amount that you score and in the, in the order in which you score them. So I don't care about all I'm looking to do is score as many points as I possibly can. Right. And, and that's the thing that matters, right? I don't care about the order or the grouping in which I score them because it smooths out over the course of a year. I want to score as many points as I can and anything, you know, I, I had a professor in law school. I tell the story in the book. He said, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. 
right? <laughs> the most important thing is to keep your basically your eye on the prize at all times, right? And that's yeah. the critical thing. And and for you know for that for that example, it was about you know winning winning your case or whatever. For me and Dynasty, it should be about scoring as many points as you can. And if people are taking, hey, a, you know, oh, this person's boom, but you know, Amari Cooper's got this narrative on him. Uh, perfect, right? That makes him cheaper. And that makes him someone I can lock in. Yeah, it was uh, 67.7% of people said that uh, eight top 24 weeks was a good season. 33% said bad, right? And that's almost universally a top 24 week. And no matter what the cost is, that's a great, that's good, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's something, that's a narrative I think you can exploit for sure. Yeah, because like you said, the main thing is the main thing is the main thing that's scoring points. Yes. So Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That and that'll and it'll smooth out, right? People get worried about, oh, I scored, you know, two twenty this week and I might score, you know, hundred and ten next week. Like, all right, you're gonna be one and one. Right? Yeah. Like you know, that's where you're gonna be. And and those things, you know, but if you're sort of averaging if you're averaging a buck sixty five, right? I mean, that's you're gonna win more games than if you were averaging, you know, hundred and fifty and the this the the range was tighter and that's just the way it's you're gonna win probably two more games, right? Yeah. Than if Rangers tighter at the at the slower thing. So, yeah, that's the that's the really I think the key. And, and I love that you find ways because you can hear it when you talk. You find ways to like have your influencers from your past that have nothing to do with fantasy football and bring that into fantasy football. Whether it's um, you mentioned something else at the beginning of the show too, and I heard you when I listened to you on the Super Show. I apologize, it's not coming to my head, but you always bring up like past parts of your life and your lessons but you bring them to this world and you make it work and i think that's awesome like that i think honestly dude it it makes it really fun to listen to you one of my concerns that i've started to get worried about brandon Ayuk a little bit because i dude i'm really high on him first of all i like brandon Ayuk a lot i want to say that Sure. But then you, you start to like think realistically, like, okay, you know, like we don't know the quarterback situation. We perceive it to be better at some point. But then the big thing, too, is like having a healthy Debo and a healthy Kittle. I just wonder if he's one of those guys that has a lot of that buzz to where I sell him at his value window and even attach back onto at his production window. Yeah, so with... I'm a big Ayuk fan, and it's funny because people will say some of the criticism that I've received of my strategy, specifically with wide receivers, is that oh, you're you're constantly going to be old. And I said no, I'm constantly going to be like um, thrift shopping, yeah. right? So, so it's a competitive Ayuk, rebuild. Yeah, and for and Ayuk was like, I mean, that's just low hanging fruit, right? Like yeah. he was in the second round of a of a rookie draft. Like if there's a first round wide receiver that lands dude, in the I got him at three hundred one in the draft. That's insane. I kid you not. In a super flex, twelve teams, three hundred one. I was, and I, I was, I didn't even really realize I got that value until I was looking at it a few weeks ago, and I was like, "Are you kidding me? That's where I got him." Yeah, and that's one of the things. Like, I, I look at a lot at profiles and at prices, and so again, we could talk about you know Trevor Lawrence, and I, I think I talked about this on John's show. If Trevor Lawrence was at one ten in a startup draft, like that's a lot different than if he was at three ten. Right at three ten, we're probably you know, and I I jokingly say that there's a the spectrum of urgency, right? If if someone you know, there's a certain level of of trade that I would if I was in my inbox, I would uh, run my kids over to go accept. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, run grandma over to go accept. Um, yeah, at three ten, we're banging down the doors to take Trevor Lawrence. At one ten, I think you'd be a little bit more skeptical, right? At at um, you know, at at one oh four. And it's in a rookie draft, right? wide receiver historically is not a great bet, right? At at two oh four, has around uh, one wide receiver is historically a really good bet, right? And so I just think about a lot of those things, like you know, how do we figure out ways to do that? A good one, uh, and we'll see how this turns out. Like I made a huge leverage bet on AJ Dillon, right? AJ Dillon to me it was basically an eight week waiting period. And what I mean by that is when you sort of look at first year, first year round two running backs, it's typically by mid season is when they are kind of on the upswing, you know, into basically locked in jobs. And if you sort of looked at guys this year, I didn't do the average, but it would be almost exactly there would be sort of the thought because, you know, Taylor kind of slumped a little, you know, started well, kind of slumped a little bit in the middle. And then by the end of the season was taken off. Same with Swift. Um, Akers and Dobbins came a little bit later. Um, 
but it would be right around that eight, nine week thing or so if you sort of patched them all together where they would have sort of t- taken off. So basically I'm waiting for Dylan. The bet is that I'm basically giving up those eight weeks, right? Because I'm hoping that Aaron Jones is not going to be there. And if things break right for AJ Dylan last year, he's a one injury away guy. Um, but at worst, you know, I'm sort of hoping that the bet is that I'm, I'm waiting eight weeks right? I'm sort of sacrificing eight weeks. And what am I doing? I'm moving off of a round, right? And I'm sort of um, I'm going down one round in cost, if not more, from guys like Taylor and, and Dobbins and Akers and Swift last year, right? I was getting a round discount because I mm-hmm. was patient for eight weeks. And when you sort of look at the, the hit rate for guys that are uh, round two running backs as rookies, it is um, – it's about 20, uh, 22%, right? So again, even, even the guys that it's, it's still only, you know, the odds would say yeah. that one of those guys was going to hit right as a rookie. And I think, I think two of them ultimately ended up getting inside the line. Uh, but you know, I wasn't taking that much, you know, I was taking a big time discount, right? So that's a lot of it, right? So you do the same thing at wide receiver, you know, Dylan and Ayuka are really low hanging fruits of this. Justin Herbert's another example, right? There was no real reason. Historically, there's no reason to treat top 10 quarterbacks different from one another, right? There historically hasn't been predictiveness about ADP or about, um, you know, about where they go in the draft as being better than later in that top 10 quadrant. Again, it's not a huge sample size, but when you sort of look at that discrete group, like they look really much the same, no matter kind of where you get them. So waiting, being patient, right. That's kind of how you backfill. Right. And if you yeah. sort of did those these last year, it was, it was pretty valuable. Yeah. I, I want to give you a little bit of a longer leash on AJ Dillon too. Cause I think you might've even kind of still been right with that eight game thing with him. Not, not, I'm not looking at the game logs right now or the games he missed, but I mean, he was on the COVID list. He didn't go to camp, which I know you could say about all rookies this year, Uh but he was also on the COVID list. So his true eight games is kind of, I don't know, to be decided really because he wasn't even active. And then at the end of the year, we started to see some serious usage. So he started to get his games late in really kind of important games at that. So, I don't know. I don't know where where would you have to count his eight games? And I know neither of us can really just truthfully answer that question, but I think it's going to happen, man. Like I've been trying to add a lot of AJ Dillon on rookie fever last night. We had like 2020 guys that we were touting and 2020 guys were doubting and he was my tout and I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to gobble him up. I think the price is more than fair for him. Obviously people are kind of, it, it went up a little bit, but you're not paying like a, a premium to add him to your teams at this point. And I don't think they keep Aaron Jones around. I don't think they need to. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that they don't keep Aaron Jones around. I don't think they need to. Um, and honestly, when you sort of look at like he's very good, but people are going to pay for sure. his touchdowns. Yep. Like they're going to pay for his touchdowns. It's kind of going to be what happens with, with his free agency. Um, and when you sort of look at it, right, how much do running backs, how much is the value of a running back differential from one another? I mean, they must really like what they saw at A.J. Dillon to take them where they took them. And if you were to sort of run it back with the exception of A.J. Dillon, right, if you, or with the exception of Aaron Jones. So if you went, if you brought back Jamal Williams on, a, I think, a reasonable contract, like it's going to cost that much, you bring back him and you bring back Dillon, like that's a very, like, that's a very low cost. Yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting. And I mean, I'm a huge Jamal Williams fan. I, I sort of keep that in perspective of he's not a huge fantasy asset, but he's had, you know, he's a valuable one injury way guy. I think he's, we met him in person. He's a uh, really good dude. And, uh, you know, I'm just a fan of his as a person. Yeah. Um, I think he's a, he's basically one of those guys that does everything to a threshold level of being like acceptable. And honestly, like just in terms of, just in terms of like your job, just think about it in terms of your job, you know, apply real life to this. Sometimes the the person that's really valuable at work isn't the person that's the superstar, isn't the person that's, you know, really flashy or does all these things. It's the person that that can do everything, really, you know, well. Shows right? up they every day be, with a good attitude. and Yeah, and is, is competent at a lot of things, can do a lot of different things well. And, you know, that's kind of what Jamal Williams does. Is he a superstar at anything? No. But is he very good, like, at, at a lot of things? Yeah. And right, that that's very valuable to an employer, and that's ultimately what the NFL is. So you could see a scenario where he's actually um, 
you know, we, they could bring him back and, and be kind of uh, really happy about that just because he does so many things really well. And, you know, you pair that with Dylan, like that could be a really low cost, high upside bet for the, for the Packers and allow them to, you know, but I think basically they're either looking at bringing back Aaron Jones or bringing in a wide receiver, you know, which one of those yeah, would you rather do? Yeah. I would hope they would get a wide receiver for Aaron Rodgers. He should be able to control the entire draft after last year. Yeah, I'd much rather pay ten million dollars to Will Fuller than ten million dollars to Aaron Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even at that, I've got a kind of gross question for you. We're getting close to getting out of here, so we don't have to end on this note. But where would you rank AJ Dillon, Keyshawn Vaughn, Joshua Kelly, and Zach Moss? Or how would you rank those four? Not where would you rank? Sorry. Amongst themselves, yes. Um, I would rank AJ Dillon significantly above any of the other ones. Yep, I'm, um, I'm same. I'd probably put. I think Zach Moss sort of in a in a worst case is going to be a one injury away guy. Um, I think in the best case is kind of a in the running back two to three landscape. Um, I don't know how you're ever going to feel super comfortable starting him outside of. I think Singletary is a better player, um, but I, I, that offense isn't particularly conducive to scoring rushing touchdowns. So that's troubling. And, and Allen doesn't really throw it to running backs. So that's tough. That's kind of a tough spot there. But just in terms of viability, I think there's a better chance of him than Keyshawn Vaughn just because they could run it back. And then, you know, they could run it back with Fournette and, and Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn's kind of buried. Um, and I'm not a huge Joshua Kelly fan. I, Joshua Kelly is a good example of when you get the opportunity to sell mm-hmm. a player at who has low pedigree right we talk about yeah. those base rates that stuff you do it and you just do it and do it and do it and do it yeah and i did it i did it on james robinson and, and i was kicking myself a little bit because i was like ah, oh, damn i sold him for a second like after week one and i was like you do that in a heartbeat right because if you do that a hundred times you're going to be right a vast majority of them right and so and joshua kelly is a good example of the other side of that right like you could have gotten a first at a moment in time like sure. you absolutely do like you do that and will you miss on guys? Absolutely. But will you be plus EV at the end of the day by doing it? 100%. Yeah. And Joshua Kelly's a player too. I mean, out of all those players, the the four, not including James Robinson, he probably had the biggest opportunity in the NFL and failed. Absolutely. That's so, on his face. Yep. He was almost the, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, Ty Johnson was a big thing for Detroit. And it was like, yeah, I carry remember. on Johnson got hurt and then like they did everything in the world including sign street free agents including all of these things to not let him be the running back one and that's kind of what it felt like last year you brought in Balage and yeah know, justin jackson and you know all these guys that just it was like uh, they don't want like they don't like what they see right it's kind of that's, that's uh that should tell us something so. yeah absolutely absolutely man this has been a lot of fun jordan any like closing thoughts on analytics of dynasty, where to find it, where to find yourself, other things you're doing. You've got a kick-ass hat. I know you do some under the helmet stuff over there with Chad Parsons. Yeah. 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 So you can find, you can find uh, me on Twitter at McNamara dynasty. Um, you can go check out the football guys dynasty show. Chad and I do that. Um, at, you know, at the football guys uh, podcast feed, you can find the book at analytics dynasty.com. Uh, and I've got the book on sale. And honestly, I've, I've have a package of the 2019 and the, or sorry, the 2020 and the 2021 editions. They're all evergreen. So you can use them forever. And I was just having a conversation with someone before this about the book. And I said, you know, they're, they're very little about specific years, right? They're about strategies and there's not about specific players all that much. It's about a strategy. It's an evergreen strategy uh, designed to make your teams better over the long term. And so that's what they are. So I think really the 2020 and the 2021 edition read together is uh, is kind of the way to go. So you can find all that. Uh, you know, there's a package there for the two of them, um, or you can get the 2021 edition as well. And then I also over at Analytics of Dynasty, I have a, a membership to my site. I'm doing daily Dynasty podcasts, which is super fun. Uh, different topics each day, talking about different things. Um, and so all that you can find and subscribe there as well. So analyticsdynasty.com, you'll find all that information. Yeah, I love it. Follow Jordan on Twitter too. He, he'll very often, you'll see him just pop up out of nowhere with 10 free minutes to answer some questions, 15 free minutes. And it's kind of fun because, uh, you, you probably go over that time sometimes. I bet it's hard to stick to, but it's kind of also fun to kind of just know that you're there answering questions for that amount of time or, 
get some hype that way. Yeah, it's fun. And I, it's usually some way correlated to my kid's sleeping schedule. So it's, you know, a lot of <laughs> so times true. that all started with, with, I had to drive my, my oldest one around. And, uh, so I would like, she'd fall asleep. I'd sit in the parking lot and be like, all right, I got 10 minutes to answer questions. Go. And so that was kind of how it all started, but it got really fun. And so that's, uh, yeah, I love doing that. So yeah, I do those you know, three, four five times a week. Love it, man. That's awesome. Thanks a ton for being here. I am at Swagzilla0G. This is at SuperFlexPod on Twitter. Also find us at SuperFlexCity. We flexing. Thanks a lot, Jordan. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, man. It was good to be here. You got to sit with me for another minute here. Sorry, mi- music ends. That's all right. That's all right. I am sending, I'm going to get rid of that 101. Yeah? I think so, man. Like, I've, I've kind of just convinced, I don't know, I need to make some moves. I, I know the value might go up, but I, I also kind of feel like there's it's it's up high enough to where there's no time like now. My need is not Trevor Lawrence. When I have Watson and Josh Allen, I can add a lesser quarterback at this point, but I need to add some depth in this league, and I feel like even just today having that that control of a draft right now i think people will i think i can sell 101 pretty decently so i'm looking we have uh, over at analytics.com we've got a it's going to come out probably today um after we get off of this but i have my real draft tracker so it's tracking real drafts uh the the real draft position of the 101 is uh 111 in the startup draft oh wow so that's just behind Dak Prescott. Uh, Burrow's at 202. So is Wilson. So, I mean, how much more can it possibly go up? <laughs>